Dr. Miles Monroe, in welcoming you to the opportunity to transform your life. Did you know that you possess the power and the responsibility to determine your future and destiny? Did you know that you are the sum total of the choices and decisions you make every day? However, the ability to make the right decisions for a life that leads to your God-given destiny depends on your quality of knowledge. Self-development demands self-discipline. It is our desire to see your life transformed through the message on this tape. Prepare to receive as we join this opportunity to grow and expand as we inspire you and motivate you to achieve your greatest in God's purpose for your life. Sit back now and listen to a message that is designed to destroy ignorance and empower you to become an effective human on this planet as you inspire others to reach their highest potential. Let us join the seminar in progress. Covering the mission of the church. If Jesus was here in person, I believe this is what he would talk about today. Let us talk about rediscovering the mission of the church. This entire month, I'll be dealing with mission, vision, and goals. As we begin this new year, we have to remind ourselves of why we exist. And then next week, this week is mission day, next week is vision day, and the following week will be goal day. We're going to be focusing in the ministry, reminding ourselves as to why we are here, why this ministry was born, why God gave birth to this place. And in this segment, we want to focus on mission, the mission of the church. And I'm not talking about our church fellowship here. I'm talking about the church globally, as they call it, universally. There is only one church. Only one. Jesus has only one church. There are many different expressions of this complex thing we call church. And much of those expressions are doing a fairly good job. There are facets of the church that are still confused and still trying to identify and, and recover the truth as to why they exist. But I want to focus this morning on understanding the kingdom assignment of the church, which is really the ultimate and original assignment of the church. So as you take notes today, I want to begin with some general statements. And that is the original plan of God. Remember that the church was a product of the fall. Write that down somewhere, please. The church is a product of the fall. Now, that may sound a little bit confusing to some of you, but before Adam fell, there was no need for church as we know it. And uh, let me just caution myself here. Uh, there was church before the fall, but not the church as we know it. As a matter of fact, God created church when he created Adam. Adam is the name that God gave to the being of race of people that he created. The word church, can I define it for you? 
Write it down. Church is from the Greek word used by Jesus. It's the word ekklesia. I will spell it for you. It is E-C-C-L-E-S-S-I-A. Write it down because it has to do with you. The word church is an English word that translates from the Greek word used by Jesus in Matthew 18. And it's the word E-C-C-L-E-S-S-I-A. Ecclesia or Ecclesia, depending on which part of the Atlantic you're from. The word Ecclesia does not mean, has nothing to do with a building, pews, pulpit, choirs, band, music, dancing, worship. It doesn't. The word ecclesia is not a word that was invented by Jesus. The word ecclesia was a common word used in the day of Jesus 2,000 years ago, and it was a political word. The word church, ecclesia, is from politics. The Romans were ruling the world during the time when Christ came to earth in the flesh. The Romans actually ruled all of Europe, even as far up as England. They took over all the way down to the Mediterranean. They were ruling all of the world. I mean, it's a powerful empire, Rome. And Rome conquered the Greeks. The Greeks used to rule the world. And then the Romans conquered them, and the Romans took over. Now, the Greeks were philosophers. They were thinkers. And that is why much of our philosophy today can find its roots in Greek thought. When you go to college today, it's required that you study certain Greek thinkers. Some of you may remember them. Great ones like Aristotle, Socrates, Plato. These Greek thinkers were the ones who summarized thought and they studied human behavior. One of the things they dealt with was human government. Matter of fact, the word demokrate is a Greek word invented by Plato and Socrates. These two thinkers were the ones who developed the concept of governing. They studied and thought through how the masses could be controlled. And they came up with this program or this concept, this idea called Democrate, where we get our word today, democracy, from. Democracy is a Greek idea. The Romans, when they took over the Greek empire, they didn't destroy the Greek thought. They preserved the Greek writings. They actually adopted them. As a matter of fact, the Romans were very barbarian until they took over the Greek philosophy. And they became very intelligent because they took the Greek information and made it their doctrine and they applied it. And that's why the Romans ruled the world more effectively than any other empire in history. More effective than the United States. Matter of fact, there has never risen an empire yet that can compete or compare with Rome. Because 
the United States does not rule the world. They only rule 51 states, probably 52 now. And the Romans ruled the entire world. The known world. I mean, all of Europe was under Rome. As far as Africa was under Roman influence. These were powerful people. Because they applied the Greek concept of governing. A part of the Greek philosophy was this concept they developed called ecclesia. Ecclesia is a Greek idea which described a group of people that was selected or appointed by the king or the emperor and this group of people was responsible for executing the mind and the dictates of the king or the emperor through the empire. That group that was appointed by him was given this name Ecclesia, which we call church. The Roman Empire, therefore, had church. What's church? A group of people appointed by the king or the emperor whose responsibility it was to get the emperor's mind, the emperor's ideas, the emperor's desires, the emperor's dictates, and then to turn those ideas and dictates into practical policy and legislation and then to execute them throughout the whole empire so that the entire empire could do what the king was thinking. That group that was charged with that responsibility was called Ecclesia, which we translate as what? Church. Is that clear? That group, therefore, was not a worship group. It was not a, a group that met in a building and had services. That was a legal, political agency. It was a group like a cabinet of the emperor. And their job was to make the whole empire manifest the mind of the emperor. Now, when you read the book of Matthew, chapter 18 which might be good for us to practically see this. If you can turn there with me, Matthew chapter 18, you find Jesus using the Greek concept to define and describe his mission. And here's what he says. And by the way, he is adopting a Greek concept to explain a divine position. Uh, let me just stress while I'm at this that Jesus is not becoming a Greek. Okay? What he's doing is he's using language that the people understood to explain concepts they couldn't understand. In the book of Galatians, chapter 3, don't turn there, there's a description that the Apostle Paul gives about the timing of the coming of Jesus. And listen carefully. It's very, this understanding changed my whole life. Do you know that according to biblical chronology, Adam fell just over 6,000 years ago. According to biblical chronology. In other words, man is not really old. He's only about 6,000 years old according to the Bible. Now the earth might have been older than that. It might have been a few million years. We don't know. Uh, 
and a day to the Lord is like a thousand years, so at least, at least we could add 7,000 years before Adam if we calculate what the Bible says a day could be to the Lord. Is that clear? So we really could have been, you know, the first 7,000 years, God created the heavens and the earth and planned everything in the universe, and then, and then at least the planet and solar system here, 7,000. And then from Adam's creation, which is 6,000 years ago, so now, we're just about to hit 14,000. Matter of fact, 2002 kind of brings us into the last seven, seventh day of God. Adam fell in Genesis chapter 3. God made a promise in verse 15 that he would send the seed in a woman who would crush Satan's head. So the promise was made when? Genesis chapter 3. How come it took so long for the promise to come to pass? It took the promise 4,000 years, according to chronology, for the promise to come to pass. Why did God wait from Genesis to Matthew to bring Jesus? Why did God wait from Genesis 4,000 years afterwards for him to come in the flesh? What was he waiting on? Why did he take so long? I mean, why did he have to use all of these prophets to keep reminding us he was coming? Because maybe he might have forgotten. Matter of fact, that's what prophecy is all about. Prophets, the prophets came to really remind us that what he said in Genesis 3.15 is still valid. They came and they kept saying, there's coming one. There's coming one. There's coming one. He's coming. He's coming. So when you read the book of, uh, of the, the Old Testament, you're really reading the reminder that he's coming. Don't get too caught up in the Old Testament, you know, stories and stuff. The big deal is really about the coming of the Messiah. The solution to man's problem. Then it says in Galatians 3, in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the curse of the law, that they might be the righteousness of God in him. When did God send him? In the fullness of time. Now the fullness of time has nothing to do with a clock or an hour. The fullness of time is a term used which has to do with when everything was right. Are you following me? Write that down please. One of these days you're going to have to teach a Bible study or teach a message and you're going to remember that because that's an important statement. God deals with fullness of time. Matter of fact, your life in God's program, has to do with fullness of time. Some of you want to do something right now, God is saying the time ain't right. Everything ain't in position yet. Sometimes you want to get married, you want to get married, God says no. If you get married now, some things ain't in right place yet. And if you get married now, you're going to mess up the whole thing. So God deals with not time, he deals with fullness of time. Maybe you want to leave your job, God is saying no, not right, not right yet. I know you're burning, you got this thing, but just hang on for a few more months because things are not completely right. Everything ain't in place yet. So I want you to stay for a little longer while because God works with the environment. He works with the seasons. He works with the setting. That's why God took so long to send his son. He waited for what? The fullness of time. Now the fullness of time means what? Everything was right. Well, when did he send them? He didn't send them during the Babylonian period. He didn't send them during the Assyrian period. He didn't send them during Pharaoh and Egyptian period. He didn't send them during, you know, the, the, the Greek period. Or none of those periods. He waited until the Romans were in charge. Wow. 
And when Rome took over the world and created roads everywhere and made the world one language and taught the world one philosophy and had one religion around the world. I mean, everything was one under the Romans. The Romans unified the world. God says, the time is right. And the Romans made everybody speak their language, which is Latin. The classical language of their day was Greek because the Greek did all the studies. They didn't want to produce all the books and all the deep thinking. So the Romans had to study Greek to get the information, but they made everybody speak Latin. That's why, you know, the Catholic Church is the Catholic Church of Rome, and that's why Latin was the original language in the Catholic Church accepted. That's why the common man couldn't understand the Catholic Mass. Because we don't speak Latin. Latin is not from heaven, it's from Rome. It's Roman language. Okay? And so the Romans took over the world, made it one language, and they connected all the world with roads. They were the builders of roads. They were the first ones to connect Europe with big roads. Which means that people could travel and they could control the empire by sending soldiers quickly on these roads throughout Africa and throughout Asia Minor and throughout the East and throughout the West and throughout the North, Europe and all the way. They even built roads in England. Can you imagine? From Italy to England, they were controlling everything. God says, the timing is right to send my son. Why? Because now, a couple of things are in place. First of all, there was a government in place that was similar, similar to the kingdom of God. That's important. The Romans established a form of government that was similar to the kingdom of God, what God originally intended. So God says, I'm going to send my son now because the system that is being used in the world now has concepts in it that are similar to my original plan. And so when I speak to them, I can use their language to explain my disposition. Am I coming through a little bit? So when Jesus came to earth, Christ didn't have to create too many new words. The words were already present. For example, words like Lord. Uh, the word Caesar literally means Lord. It means owner. One who owns the people. Matter of fact, if you were a Roman or under the Roman Empire, you were a subject of Caesar. You were a property of Rome. They could do with you whatever they want. They could say what you, they could take from you whatever they want. Matter of fact, uh, all the people who were not Roman citizens were under great oppression because the Romans literally owned the people that they conquered. The property of Caesar. That's why Caesar had his thumb, which is his most powerful weapon. Caesar didn't really have to carry a sword, just carry a thumb. He was that powerful. And if you wanted to live, he held his thumb up, you stayed alive. If he turned his thumb down, there's a funeral. Okay? That's how powerful. He, he, he actually owned the people. He could kill you or give you life. Matter of fact, you remember Pilate, who was sanctioned by Caesar, saying to Jesus, I got a thumb. Why? I have been sent by Caesar. I got a thumb. I could kill you or give you life, Jesus. Christ says, now let's talk about lordship then. Your kingdom is of this world. I also got a kingdom that is not of this world. And if I call my soldiers right now, they'll wipe out your castle. Remember that? He, he threatened Caesar back. Why? Because the terms made sense to Jesus. So when Jesus talked, the people understood him. So when he said, in the book of Matthew chapter 18, these words, the people did not ask him to explain them. Have you noticed that? Look at this. It says in chapter 18, 
Matthew 18, where am I? Am I right? Forgive me a moment here. Let me make sure I get it right. Matthew chapter 18. Verse. Where am I at? Help me out. Verse 16. What? Chapter 16. I was wondering. I couldn't find my place. Sorry. Chapter 16. Verse 18. It's not 18, 16, but 16, 18. I got my figures backward. All right. I want you to read this. Christ is using Roman language, Greek thought. He says, verse 13. He came into the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked his disciples, who do men say that I am, the son of man am? They said, some say you are John the Baptist, Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. He said to them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon, son, balming son, son of Judah. For flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. The rock has to do with the statement that Peter made. The word Peter is a name that Jesus gave to this man named Simon. Peter means Petros, it means little stone. Okay? The word rock is the word Petra, which means boulder or mountain. So he says, you are a pebble, but upon the, the, the boulder you spoke, I'm going to build my what? church. And it's the first time he really mentions this word. Christ says, now notice, I want you to notice something. Underline the word my. Don't read the Bible too casually. Because every word is loaded. The word my is an important word. Okay. Whose watch is this? This is yours. Isn't that amazing? You say yours. This mine. This is my watch. Now when I use the word my to refer to my watch, I am also suggesting that there may be some other watches in the world. If Christ had said, upon this rock I had built the church, then it could have mean it was the only one. But he's talking political talk. He says, party of Caesar got their ecclesia, I got mine. Upon this rock, what rock? Upon the fact and the truth that I am the Messiah, I am the anointed one. I am the Christ. Upon that declaration, I'm going to establish my group of people who will execute my mind in the earth. And the gates of hell. Everybody say Hades. The word Hades is there. The gates of hell shall not stop it. Everybody say Hades. Say it again. Write it down, please. The word hell, you've got to be careful in the Bible now, because you know, most of you, like me, I was brought up believing the word hell is hell. But there are three words in the Greek Bible that you have in your hand that are hell. And that's why the King James Version did not do a good job in translating some words. This is one of their weaknesses here. The word hell. The word hell is translated from three different words, which means three different things. The first word hell in the Bible, is really the word uh, Hades, which has to do with the grave. You know when you go to bury somebody? Okay, when you put them in the hole, that is called Hades. 
Write that down. Hades is what? The grave. There's a second word the Greek uses that is translated hell in English, and it's the word Gehenna. Gehenna, G H. I spell this word. G E H E N N A H. Yeah, Gehenna. This word Gehenna has to do with the place where the lost go, or where the those who died, where they are kept until the judgment. That's called Gehenna. The third word in the Bible that the King James just casually translates as hell is the word Sheol, S-H-E-O-L. And the word Sheol means the lake of eternal burning. It's your ultimate damnation, the word hell. So sometime when you read the, 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 the Bible, like in Revelations, you read a statement like this, and the Lord God took hell and threw it into hell. See, it's talking about two different hells. In other words, in the end, God's going to take the grave and the place of waiting and throw them all into the eternal abyss. With Satan, of course. Satan will eventually be thrown into Sheol. Now, listen. It's okay to go to Gehenna. But for heaven's sake, don't go to Sheol. Get born again today. Know Christ today. The Bible says all the dead in Christ shall be raised unto eternal life, not eternal damnation. If you don't know Christ today, you are a candidate for Sheol. Tell your neighbor, get your ticket for heaven now. Yes, sir, you don't want to go to Sheol. Ain't no hope in Sheol. It's eternal damnation. Now, the word Jesus used here is important. He doesn't use the word Sheol. He doesn't use the word Gehenna. He uses the word Hades. What is Hades? Grave. That means when your body dies, they put you in the grave. Now, this is what he says. He says, the gates of Hades cannot stop the growth of my church. That means the more the grave kills, the more it's going to show up. This is exciting. You cannot kill the church by bearing people. Glory, hallelujah. God says, I'll always have a cabinet. <laughs> Sometimes we think, you know, we are God's favorite. Mm -mm, he is waiting for the next in line. You do your job and move up to scene. You know, sometimes we get excited. We start worshiping personalities. Oh, that's a great woman. That's a great. No, no, no. They're just temporarily on assignment. They're going to die. The next crew coming in. That's why you got to make sure you know what your assignment is, your mission, so you can do what you're supposed to do. So Jesus says, upon this statement, I am the Christ. I'm going to build my what? Church. What is church? Ecclesia. Which means what? Called out group to execute the judgment of the emperor or the king. Now Christ doesn't take the title emperor. He takes the title king. He's the king. And so we find then that the church is really not a building. It's not decorations and pews and, and all the stuff we use and candles and flowers and, and marching and robes and all this stuff. That's not what God was thinking about. God wants his cabinet back. What's a cabinet? A group of people that carries out the dictates of the leader. Now, uh, can you come here for a moment, John? I just want to to show you something uh, visually. Just stand here on the first step. Okay. The first man that God created was Adam. 
The only problem is Adam had everybody in him. God only made one man from the soil. He never went back. So everybody was in that one body. So God made the one body with everybody and then took the one body and put it in the garden. And then God said to the one body with everybody, have dominion. Dominion is what? To govern, to rule, to control, to manage and to lead. So God is telling this entire group of one people <laughs> to do what? Govern, rule, dominate, manage, subdue the planet. In other words, be in charge of the planet for me. So, who is Adam? Adam is cabinet. Church has two dispensations. There's pre-fall church and there's post-fall church. The church before the fall was Everybody in complete fellowship with God, with no broken relationship, walking in the presence of God, executing God's judgment, naming animals and cultivating and organizing and planning and redeeming the earth. I mean, not redeeming, but rather ordering the earth and keeping under God's control. That was Adam before the fall. I mean, Adam was representing God as the ecclesia of God. He did it for God. Then Adam failed. Adam disobeyed what? The government. Is that clear? So now we got the cabinet going against the president. We got the cabinet going against the king. We got the cabinet rebelling against the emperor. We got the cabinet saying, we don't want nothing to do with the king anymore. Now listen to me. How can you represent a king if you ain't related to him no more? You're not in fellowship with him. Now, what's the purpose for a cabinet? Remember, what's the purpose for an ecclesia? To get the mind of the emperor or the king and then to translate that into legislation and rulership in the entire empire. In other words, the only way you can be a truly faithful cabinet member of this kind of government is you've got to stay close to the king. Everybody with me? You cannot represent... A king as an ecclesia member, unless you are always in touch with his mind, his desires, his thoughts, his will, what he wills to do is what you want. This has nothing to do with buildings. Nothing to do with stained glass windows and organs and chairs. Hear me? Nothing to do with podiums and pulpits. It has to do with intimacy with the king. That's why the Bible says these people worship him with their lips. All this regalia, all this smoke, all this singing, all this clapping, all this dancing. He says, but their hearts are what? Far from me. What is your heart? Point at it. Point at it. He says, your mind ain't in touch with my mind. You don't know what's in my mind. You can't represent a government you don't relate to. So, when Adam fell, let's read it, write this down, what he fell from, eh? The purpose for mankind was what? To represent the dominion rulership of God. But the fall of man was not a fall from heaven. It was a fall from dominion because it was a fall from relationship with the king. Let me tell you, friends, what the fall is. 
Write this word down. Write the word sin down. Sin. S-I-N. Sin. Got it down? Write the word sin down when you finish writing that sentence. Sin. Everybody say sin. Now, in my mind, when I was growing up, sin to me was lying, stealing, cursing, bearing false witness, smoking, drinking, going to clubs. I mean, you know, uh, eating, you know, stuff I shouldn't be eating, uh, breaking the Sabbath. I thought sin was, you know, all this, this long list of stuff, you know, fornication and adultery and backbiting and gossip. And I thought, this is deep. So, so what do we do most of the time if, if we see that sin? What do we do? We spend our lives trying to stop doing these things. That's why life is so tough. If sin to you is a lot of behaviors, then your life going to be hell on earth. Because you can keep trying to fight against doing these things. And believe me, friends, you ain't got what it takes to fight against that. Don't lie to me. You know you've been trying to stop some things. You can't stop. Matter of fact, some of y'all still lie. Sanctified, Holy Ghost, baptized, tongue talking. But you tell lies on your forms you fill out. So you see, if you try to, to use that as, you know, the problem of sin, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. Do you know what the word for sin is in the original Hebrew? Write it down. Next to the word sin is the word rebellion. That's all it is. Rebellion. Everybody say rebellion. Now, what is rebellion? If the cabinet turns against the prime minister, that is called rebellion. There's a rebellion in the party. <laughs> you remember how Caesar died? You remember the story? There was what? Rebellion in the cabinet. They call it the Senate or the cabinet, the same ecclesia. They turned against the ruler. But what do you think Adam and Eve did? Adam and Eve turned against their ruler. They turned against their king. They turned against their emperor. They, they violated the emperor's wishes. The wishes of the emperor was do not eat from that tree. They said forget you. And they ate from it. They rebelled against the emperor. If I can use that term. They rebelled against the king. They turned against God. The king of the universe. That they're supposed to be representing. And that's what the word sin means. You know, you should not be wasting your energy trying to stop sinning. That's too tough. That's why you're tired. Aren't you tired fighting? I mean, you're fighting, fighting. Paul says, Paul says, when I want to do good, I do evil. And when I do evil, I feel bad about it, so I want to do good. Then when I try to do good, I can't find in me to do it, so I try not to do it, therefore I do it, and then do it, do it, do it, do it. Paul says, look, help, he says, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Then he says, thanks be unto God, who sent Jesus Christ. In other words, this ain't about a fight against your behaviors. You should spend so much time worshipping the king, Following the king, pursuing the king's mind, that means his book, reading every thought he ever wrote, spending time with him in intimacy and prayer all day in your car, driving and in privacy. Spend so much time that you are so busy following the king, you ain't got time to sin. That's what God wants. I found out something. It takes time to sin. So you want to solve sin, just change the use of your time. Put it in the kingdom government business. Seek ye first 
the kingdom of God. That means seek it every day first. Everything put it first. You do that, he says, and all these things that you need will come after you. Tell your neighbor, I'm too busy to sin from now on. Come on, confess it. I am too busy to sin from now on. That's right. When the devil tempts you, tell him, I'm too busy. See, some of us, <laughs> we got so much time on our hands. The Bible says that idleness creates corruption. It takes time to sweetheart. Got to give people your time. It takes time to fornicate. It takes time to go get on hit. Drugs again? It takes time, man. You know, Anna will tell you, you know, she told me one time when she got saved, she said at the night, say, man, she was, she was missing for three or four days in the base house. It takes time to shoot coke. You don't want to leave. Rebellion against the government is defined as sin. That's why the Bible says Christ, by one man, sin, singular, entered into the world. Not sins, sin. And by one man, sin was destroyed. Singular word. Rebellion against God. So this man fell from relationship with God and lost his dominion power. Can I suggest then this last point? Write this down. The purpose and goal of God's redemptive plan was to restore mankind back to God's original plan. That is as simple as it gets. Now, I don't know where you came from. I don't know what church you attend. I don't know where you're visiting from. I don't know what your background is as a person religiously. But let me tell you, I don't care how complicated they try to make it. All the ordinances and all the stuff they take us through and all the stuff they make us do and all the stuff they tell us don't do and thou shalt not and don't do this. I don't care what they tell you. This is as simple as it gets. All God is trying to do is to redeem his creation back to his original plan. That's it. That's it. Uh, thank you, John. Where's John? Uh, okay. What's the most important thing then for an ecclesia? Relationship with the king. You can't represent someone who you don't have a relationship with. What's the most important thing? Relationship the king. <sighs> Listen, I don't care what you do, that's your priority. Relationship with who? The king. I don't care how well you dress, I don't care how cute you look. The issue is relationship with that king. I don't care how you sing, dance, or preach. The issue is relationship with the king. You know, uh, the Bible says in a few places in the Old Testament, very interesting, it says, they are prophesying, but not of me. Now, what God means is they're talking about, they hear from me, and they ain't been in touch with me. The word prophesy is the same way for preaching in, in Greek, and in, in Hebrew rather. People preaching, God says, I don't know you. You never visited my office, you telling them you represent me. He said they are prophesying lies because they have not known my, my will, my mind, he says. 
What's the most important thing? Relationship with the king. I'm trying to get you to something. You got to get this. That's why the first thing in the morning when you open your eyes is relationship with the king. Why? You are going out the rest of the day representing him. You better check in before you check out. That's what prayer is for in the morning. It's not a ritual. It's what? Relationship with the king. You are checking with the government. Why do you read the Bible? Because the purpose for Ecclesia is to get the mind of the king. And he put his mind in that book. And that's why he says, my word is my will. And when you read his word, you get his mind. Now you can speak and talk for him. All day. Most of us, we give our own opinions during the day. What do you think of homosexuality? Well, you know, some people may have some emotional, psychological, ethical, biological problem. No, 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 no. Uh, according to my government, it's abomination. You don't got to go to no long talk. It's simple. Well, uh, what do you think of fornication? You know, Jesus knows, you know, things tough. So, child, I got, I find it myself too, child, you know. But, you know, God will understand. We'll do it and then we'll repent. See, you ain't been in touch with the government this morning. Last time I read the government's mind, his mind was clear. Fornication is abomination. I can't violate my government's legislation. I represent my government here and I cannot do this. Are you there yet? You ain't in touch the king. The mission of the church is simple. When I went to England, where are you from, my friend? When I went to England, I went to visit the Bahamas Council Office, the ambassador of the Bahamas, where he is. That's why I went to visit. When I walked up to the place, there was a name on it. Guess what the name was? It didn't say Bahamas Embassy. It says Bahamas Mission. This is incredible. An ambassador is on a mission. What's his job? To represent his government in another territory. And he cannot speak his own opinions. What's your mission? Your mission is to represent heaven on earth. To bring the mind of God to your workplace. To bring the mind of God to your marriage. Oh, oh. Are we going to work on relationships a little later on this, this year? Because some of y'all need some help lately. Do you realize as a husband, you represent heaven to your wife? How can you lie to her and say you're representing God? God doesn't lie. There's no lie in him. How can you lie to your wife? You can. If you represent in heaven, you're on a mission. If you claim to be a born-again wife, 
You represent heaven to your husband. I don't care how nasty he acts. I don't care how nasty she acts, brother. You represent heaven to your husband. So how does heaven respond? That's your first question. He cussed me. Okay, Jesus, help me quick. And he says, do good to them who despitefully use you. So he said, that's okay, honey. And you go cook him a meal. Mess him right up. That's kingdom response, huh? Can I hear an amen? amen? Can I hear praise the Lord? Praise Say, Lord, Lord, I want to represent you. I am on a mission. It's the mission of the church. Every embassy is a mission. That name is written in the document in the embassy. It's written there. Because they represent their country. So do you. So when we talk about rediscovering the mission of the church, it's, it's not difficult. Hey, let's look at, I call it mission possible. Number one, a mission is not a vision. Uh, number two, a vision is specific, it's unique, and it's a special assignment. A vision is something that is unique to a person. We'll deal with this next week, so don't miss next week. Because a mission is, is different from a vision. A mission is not a vision. A mission is a general, broad, comprehensive goal. It's a statement of general goal. It's a mission. A vision is unique. Specific. Therefore... A mission is not to be confused with a vision. Let's talk then about this word that you hear about. The Great Commission. You ever heard that term? The Great Commission? They use that in the Christian circles, eh? The Great Commission. It's two words put together. Actually, it's a prefix and a word. Co means together. Mission means general assignment. So, the Great Commission is simply a general assignment that a large group is given to accomplish an ultimate purpose. What is the mission of the church? And I say church. This is a general mission. A mission, therefore, is, is vague in the sense that it is it doesn't tell you how to execute it. It just tells you what I want to accomplish. Okay? For example, my mission is to go and buy groceries. Now, I go in the food store. There are thousands of items there. Okay? But if I don't go there with a clear vision of what I want, <laughs> some of you all had that problem, right? You go in a food store without a vision, <laughs> your mission is to be carrying the whole store home. <laughs> so, thank you. So, I want you to understand then that a mission is what? General. Let's go shopping. The question is, what's your vision? For what? Women, you all know the problem when you don't know what you're going for. You buy dresses you don't need, shoes you can't afford. 
Yeah. That's why you have to know your specific vision, even though you have a mission. If you and I go shopping together, our mission is to go shopping. But you see, what you buy, I might not buy. Because you might leave what I need. So now our visions of what we do when we get to the mission is different. Hello? So I want you to check this now. So the commission then is that which is a general assignment given to the whole group. Uh, let's look at the, the commission of the church, the mission God gave us. Okay? Let's read it. But he said, Luke 4, verse 43, Christ is giving us his mission. He says, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to other towns also, because that is why I came. That's why I was sent. And he kept on preaching in the synagogues in Judea. All right. I want you to underline this verse. Christ is giving us clear definition of his mission. He says, my mission is what? To preach the kingdom of God. The word preach that means to declare or announce the arrival of. I've been sent to earth to do what? Preach, declare, to establish the kingdom, the rulership of God on the earth. That's my mission. Oh, hallelujah. Hang on just a few more minutes. We got to get this now. Jesus said, look, that's my mission. I know what I came here for. I didn't come. Oh boy, I'm going to get in trouble now. Hang on, Lord. Okay. Right. I didn't come really to raise the dead. Even though I raised three people in 33 and a half years. Because that was really not my mission. I didn't really come, listen to this, to heal the blind. Even though I healed, according to the record, five in 33 and a half years. Only five. But that was not my mission. That's why it was not a big deal for me. I didn't really come to heal people with palsy and paralysis and with, with, with uh, uh, heart problems. He said, I didn't, that's not really my mission. Now, I, I healed a few people along the way, but that was not my mission. See, let me tell you something. If you don't know your mission, you'll be doing all kinds of things. You know what? I'm going to get in trouble now. But one of these days you're going to thank me later. Listen carefully. The devil's greatest weapon against you. I'm talking about the church. Universal. Is to preoccupy us with good things. So we'll never do the right thing. I stress, my son, the devil wants you to join Rotary. He wants you to get involved in the key club. He wants you to get involved in the Red Cross. He wants you to go and help some feeding program, some poor program. He wants you involved in all of these social activities, helping this one, helping that one, joining this group and joining that group. And join. See, and now the church has become just one big social club. I'm going to get in trouble. I mean, the church has almost become the department of social concern. That's why the government itself is abusing the church. 
the government of the country is telling the church, y'all have the poor. Why y'all have the poor? That's not what we were sent here to do. Oh, you didn't get, I don't care what you tell me, read the Bible. One time they told Jesus, this money they put on you could have been given to the poor. He said, don't you talk about poor to me. You always have poor with you. If you try to feed them, they'll kill you. And then still bury you and take your money in your car. See, this social thing is destroying. Because it, social is not our mission. Kingdom is our mission. Man. Let me tell you something. The poor man does not need money. Matter of fact, the question is, how did he get poor in the first place? That's your first question to the poor. How did you get like this? John was in prison. And John sent Jesus a note. He says to his disciples, ask Jesus, is he really the one that's supposed to come? He started doubting a little bit. Because he was in jail. <laughs> he figured Christ would come and get him. After all, Christ is his cousin. He says, are you the one that we had to expect? And are you the one who's supposed to come? And Christ says, send this message back to John. Listen to the message now. He says, you tell John, number one, the deaf is hearing, blind is seeing, the lame is walking. Watch this. And the poor has the gospel of the kingdom preached to them. He said, they ain't got no money. They get information from me. You all better clap out loud and shout hallelujah, somebody. Oh, glory, hallelujah. Brother, you don't need no money. You need a mind change. You need a concept change. You need somebody to give you a revelation of who you are. When you get kingdom revelation, all of a sudden you start looking different, walking different, talking different. You believe everything is possible. And then up comes your life, out of the gutter, and you become a ruling citizen. That's why God has sent you here. You're supposed to be more than just a churchgoer. You're supposed to be a sanctified ruler in your country. My assignment, he says, is to preach the kingdom every town. Are we so busy trying to feed poor people? And let me tell you something poor people. Once you start feeding them, you need a feeding program after that. Don't try to see me off. I'm talking to you. I, talk, I get back to what? Rediscovering the mission of the church. And it's not social services. tell you something. If a man is blind and he's on the corner with a cup, what do you do? Well, you do. You give him a couple dollars. No problem. Well, guess what? You just encourage him to be back in the morning. So Jesus comes. He meets a blind man. Christ says, now in my kingdom, we don't do this. <laughs> Lay hands on the man and say, see, now go to work. That's kingdom mentality. <laughs> you know that Brother Armstrong? Peter James walking along the temple. Caught. Man sitting there begging for years, man. He's not look. We got money, you know, we ain't broke. But not for you. Read really carefully. He says, silver and gold we have not for you. It's for us. 
He said, but as such as we have, you need a job. Get up. Go to work. Clap your hands, somebody. And the man went leaping and praising God. Went to work the next day. Praise God. That's kingdom, man. That's kingdom. When you come and you got a need, we expect that need to be temporary. You don't hear what I say. You go to the storehouse, we'll take care of you for a couple of weeks. After that, we're going to find out why you're still coming back. Everybody say kingdom mission. That's our mission. Our mission is kingdom. The church has been sold a hill of beans by the devil. It's called the doctrine of demons. It's the belief that you're supposed to be a social service agency rather than a change agent for nations. Christ didn't come to service the world. He came to change it. I repeat myself. Christ did not come to service the world. He came to change the world. You give a man fish today, you got to give him fish tomorrow. The kingdom does not give out fish. <laughs> the king is give you fishing in line and hook. <laughs> Praise God. The kingdom makes you responsible for your own destiny. That's what it does. All right, Matthew 10, Great Commission. Now he's turning over the mission to us. He says, as you go, Matthew 10, 6, preach this message. Quote, the kingdom of heaven is near. His instructions to the disciples were the same instructions to himself. He said, the Father sent me to do what? Preach the kingdom. Now I'm sending my 12 to preach the kingdom. Now let's read on the next one. Matthew 10, and this gospel of the kingdom, Matthew 24, 13, and this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached into all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, what's the mission? The mission is clear. His is to preach the kingdom. The disciples is to preach the kingdom. The nations are to preach the kingdom. By the way, underline the word testimony. Write it down in your notes, testimony. Everybody say testimony. Say it again. Say it again. A little louder. Testimony again. Testimony. Come on, say it, somebody. It's an important word. Don't, 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 don't pass that word. Testimonies are held in courtrooms. You call a witness on the stand in a court to test the case. To see if what the plaintiff is claiming is true. So a testimony is a money on a test. Use the money. <laughs> In other words, a testimony <laughs> is when you test something to see if it's real, if it's true. That's why you go to court to give a test, a testimony. Now, look at the word. He says the kingdom gospel will be preaching all the world as a testimony. In other words, I need some people in every nation all over the world, who can claim that there is a kingdom on earth, there is a government functioning from another country on earth, there is a leader in charge, there is an anointing in the earth, and you can test it. Can you test it today, somebody? 
I said, I detest it in your life. I want you to tell your neighbor, watch me in 2002. I'm going to be proof of what God claims. Clap your hands and thank God. We're going to be proof this year. Praise God. Hallelujah. I will not be sick this year. Why? The kingdom ain't got no sickness. And I claim that right now. You better claim your own claim. I'm going to test this thing. I will not go hungry this year. I'm going to test the kingdom. I will never be oppressed nor depressed this year. Because the joy of the Lord is. I'm going to test that this year. No weapon formed against this brother. And you will receive power. After the Holy Ghost has come upon you. The role of the church in the world, eh? And you shall be what? Witnesses. What do witnesses do? Testimony. Yeah. You will go out and test the kingdom in the nation. In where? First, Jerusalem. Where's Jerusalem? What is Jerusalem? Your house. If the kingdom don't work in your house, don't go in the yard yet. Read it. Read it. The test is elsewhere in your house. See them children you prayed about this morning? They're watching you like a hawk. Oh, they wander around doing their thing, but they're watching you, eh? Your house. You're a single parent? Let me tell you something. Be careful. When you get mad, don't cuss no more. Your kid's watching you. You represent the government of God in your house to your children. I know the burden is heavy. I know Simon gets rough and these kids don't act too right, but you make sure you respond like God. Because they're watching you. You married? Test it in the house first. Kingdom of God. The government of God and your marriage. And then Judea, hey? Judea as well. That's your family. Yeah, the bigger family, the ones who know you good, they testing you. Oh, you say you change? Yeah, and they watch you. It's a mission of the church. is to represent Christ to your family. The bigger family. The cousins and the uncles and the aunts and the in-laws and the friends. Eh? And then you go to Samaria. That's the wider area. So your neighborhood and your job To all the world. That's your ethnos. It's a place where you go to work. He says, you be my witness. You testify about me. Let them test you on your job. And then he says, I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. I'll be with you. These signs shall follow them that believe. I'll be with you. God is faithful. I say God is good. Did you receive the word of God today? Please, no one move, please. Uh, let us leave this place respectfully. Did you learn something today? How many of you feel convicted? Let me see your hands. I feel convicted. When you're convicted, that means the Holy Spirit is speaking to you still. When you're not convicted, you better check yourself. Conviction is proof that the Holy Spirit is still active in your life. If you feel that you need to improve in an area, stand up on your feet, please.
these folks who are moving are going to the tape table, so that's why they're moving. They're going to prepare your tapes. I would encourage you to get a copy of this morning's teaching. Tell your neighbor today, I changed. Tell your neighbor today, I'm on a mission. Praise the Lord. Everybody on a mission? What's our mission? To represent the government of God on earth. What's our mission? What's your mission? In every area of our lives. That's where we are going. Let's hold hands together with our fellow citizens. Look them in the face and tell them, you're an ambassador. And you look like it. Hallelujah. We're going to pray together. That's what we are, man. We ain't religious people. Dr. Miles Monroe, welcoming you to the opportunity to transform your life. Did you know that you possess the power and the responsibility to determine your future and destiny? Did you know that you are the sum total of the choices and decisions you make every day? However, the ability to make the right decisions for a life that leads to your God-given destiny depends on your quality of knowledge. Self-development demands self-discipline. It is our desire to see your life transformed through the message on this tape. Prepare to receive as we join this opportunity to grow and expand as we inspire you and motivate you to achieve your greatest in God's purpose for your life. Sit back now and listen to a message that is designed to destroy ignorance and empower you to become an effective human on this planet as you inspire others to reach their highest potential. Let us join the seminar in progress. And the mission of the church. I want you to take notes because this is going to be an important part of understanding what our role is in the world as church. So I want everybody to kind of sit still and pay attention and no distraction, no moving around. I want the ushers to kind of find a good spot so that we can focus on the word today. Uh, the kingdom and the great commission is what we want to talk about today. Hey, boy, say the kingdom. And the Great Commission. That's what we want to talk about today. As we begin this new year, we want to just remind ourselves as to what our mission is as the church. In other words, we want to understand the original mission of the church. What is the church's responsibility? I'm going to surprise you, I'm sure, and to some degree, but I also will be reinforcing some things that you should have already known. I want to begin with a few statements that may be helpful, and uh, we're going to talk about the foundation of the church. The church is a, is a universal body of, of people. And in many people's minds, there are different definitions of what church is. But let's take a look at who started the church and what was on his mind. At the completion of the mission of Jesus on earth, he established his program for global restoration. His program. 
And he also established his program for redemption. And his mechanism for doing it is this thing that he set up called the church. Now the United Nations has their program to restore sanity to the earth. And it ain't working too well. Before the United Nations was formed, there was World War II. Before the League of Nations was formed, which preceded the United Nations, there was World War I. Between World War I and World War II, there were hundreds of wars. But the big one really took on a new form when Hitler decided to overcome Europe and the Japanese decide to bomb Pearl Harbor. The world went into chaos. After the world war was over, millions of people are dead, cities are destroyed, economies are in a wreck. I mean, people are confused, marriages are broken up because husbands are dead, wives are left with kids, society is turned on its head upside down because now women got to go to work because the men are dead. Everything's confused. They decided in the world, they decided we will never fight again. War is bad. So they formed an organization to restore the world and to give it back its sanity and they named that organization the United Nations. Its headquarters today is in New York City. Every nation of the world that has been accepted as a legitimate nation are a member of the United Nations. Over 160 countries are members of the UN and that fluctuates depending on who's fighting at the time. All of the major powers of the world, nations like Germany, France, England, the United States, and Canada, and now even some nations like uh, countries in Africa, Nigeria, others, have become part of the leadership of the United Nations, guiding the other smaller nations, hopefully, into sanity. Well, guess what? Got news for you. Since the United Nations was formed, to this moment, there has been more wars than before. Got the point? In other words, they have failed to stop more wars than before they were formed. And there are still wars that they can't stop. The Middle East is an example. They don't know what to do with that. Coffee and on, running up and down, drinking coffee. Trying to figure out how do I, do, you know, shuttle diplomacy, trying to keep the peace. The United States presidency keeps changing, but they can't change the world. Why? They're trying to restore earth. They're trying to bring peace on earth. Do you know, when I went to the United Nations, of which I am an affiliate member through our organization, the International Third World Leaders Association, when I went there for the first time to be introduced and to get my credentials, I was shocked that at the entrance of the United Nations is a massive statue and the bottom of the statue is a scripture taken from the book of Isaiah. The scripture that is written at the entrance of the United Nations says, 
and they shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks and they shall make war no more and there shall be peace. Now, that's what they got. They, they took God's word and put it at the entrance and left God out. What are they trying to do? They're trying to bring peace without the prince. So God knew this. So God sent the prince 2,000 years ago. The prince of peace. What's unique about it is that God actually told us who he was. In Isaiah chapter 9, verse 14, it says, For unto us a child is born, a son is given, verse 12 rather, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called what? Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Prince of Peace, Everlasting Father. In other words, if you want peace on the earth, here's the Prince. He's got it. So Jesus came to earth 2,000 years ago in the flesh, and he introduced himself as that Prince. He set up a program that is more effective than the United Nations, older than the United Nations, more efficient than the United Nations, and it is having a more positive effect than the United Nations on people's personal lives. He called his organization church. He gave that church a clear mission. His plan was global restoration and redemption through the agency he set up called the church. Now, I want to draw your attention to two words. The words redemption and restoration. It's difficult to restore if you don't redeem first. What the UN is trying to do is to restore without redeeming. To redeem means to own something again. In other words, the first thing Jesus did was to bring man back to God before he wanted to bring God back to earth. Man needs a relationship before he's given rulership. He needs redemption before he can execute restoration. And that is why <laughs> the concept of winning the world back to God was misunderstood by the very people Jesus came to first. And who were they? The Jews. They were thinking the same way the United Nations think. The Jews were thinking that the Messiah would come as a military leader and impose his policy and legislation and rulership on the known world at that time, which was the Roman Empire, and then he would bring forced peace like the Taliban or like religious authorities uh, uh, that rule the countries with religion. That's what they wanted. They wanted Jesus to do what the Muslim countries have done, to make a nation a religion. They expected that. But Jesus understood 
that you cannot restore what you didn't redeem. They were looking for a warrior to fight. He came as a servant to serve. They were looking at a king with a spear and a sword. He came as a lamb with blood in his throat. They expected someone with power to destroy political regimes. He came as one who was humble and wanted to destroy the power of Satan over peasants' lives. So they were confused. And that's why they rejected Jesus. Their concept was restoration without redemption. Jesus said, look, I came to give my life a ransom for many. In other words, I'm going to redeem first, then I'll restore. So he died to buy us back. Redeem means to own again, to pay a price, to own something. And that's what Jesus did. He died on the cross and the price for you and I was death. When Adam sinned, the wages of sin is death. So to redeem man from the curse of sin, you got to pay the price that sin demands. And sin demands death. That's why the death of Jesus was not an option. It was necessary. He died to redeem us from the curse of the law of death. That we might become positioned again with God. The righteousness of God. Through the work of Jesus Christ. Now, everybody who accepts that work. Has been re-related to God. They are redeemed. After he redeemed the world, this next statement is important, he left the world. But he didn't leave the world alone. He left the world in the hands of this agency that he calls church. He did not leave the world in the hands of the United Nations. He did not leave the world in the hands of politicians. As we know them, of course. Because we learn in a moment that the church is a political agency. But not the kind that you think. He did not leave the world in the hands of social scientists. He didn't leave the world in the hands of political scientists. But he was very, very specific and clear. He left the world in the hands of who? The church. Well, let's see if that's true. Huh? Let's read this. Here's the assignment he gave the church. Matthew 28, verse 18. All authority, Christ is speaking, has been given unto me in heaven and in earth. Therefore, because I got authority, you go and make disciples of every nation. He's speaking to his church. Jesus said to his church, here's why I redeemed you. I did not redeem you. I didn't buy you back to go to heaven. I didn't buy you back to walk on streets of gold. I didn't buy you back to sit at the pearly gates and steal pearls. I didn't buy you back for you to sit by the crystal river and eat golden grapes by the water of life. 
I didn't buy you back to get your wings and fly away. Here's why I brought you back. I brought you back to God so you could go to the nations and disciple them for me. That's the assignment of the church. Who's the church? The church is individuals. He says, and then when you go to them, baptize them. Baptize them means that you, when they respond, you confirm their response with an act of submission. Baptism is actually an act of submission to authority. That's why Jesus submitted to John. He was submitting to John's authority. It means that you are becoming one with who you are being baptized under. That's what baptism means. If you are born again and you claim to be a Christian, but you've not entered the waters of baptism, you are still not sealed. You should follow the Lord into baptism. Now, it doesn't mean you won't go to heaven if you die. But baptism is a physical act to show forth your identity with the one you be, whose name you're being baptized in while you are alive. The thief on the cross didn't have that privilege. So he went direct with the chief. <laughs> but he did identify with him, didn't he? He called him what? Lord. What does the word Lord mean? Owner. He says, Lord, remember me. Christ said, that's enough. If I'm your owner, I got you. That's why he must confess Jesus Lord. But baptism is important. He said, don't just... Disciple them, convert them to think and to enter the kingdom, but let them confirm their citizenship by identification. In other words, God don't want no secret agent believer. I heard people say, well, I'm a Christian, but I'm just not public. But I'm here to tell you, come out of the closet. Christ says, he who is ashamed to own me, before people, I will be ashamed to own him before my father who's in heaven. Baptism is a public identity. Then he says, you must teach them the things that I have taught you to obey them. And he says, then I'll be with you. The assignment is very clear. Let's talk then about the rule of the church. I want you to get this because we got to understand how the kingdom and the church are not the same. I gave myself away here early. The church and the kingdom are different. Over the past 2,000 years, the church which is founded by Jesus Christ, was given a mandate by him. And that mandate was a commission. The commission was to influence and restore the world back to God. That was the commission. To influence and restore the world back to God. There has been a lot of confusion because of us. A lot of confusion with regard to the purpose and the definition of church. And that's why we are going to address the issue today. Let's talk a little bit about this friction 
between the confusion over the difference and the relationship between the church and the kingdom. I want you to write down in your notes, church and kingdom. Let's talk a little bit about the difference. And I, I, I want to get into details here a little bit. Uh, the church and the kingdom are not synonymous. Why? The kingdom existed before the church. As we know it. I got to show you a couple of scriptures here to, to, to kind of help you with this. Uh, but the church as we know it, and please listen to my words carefully as you watch the TV program. Please don't misunderstand me. Listen to all of my sentences, please. The church as we know it did not exist before the kingdom. The church as we know it is a redeemed creature. In other words, it used to belong to God. God lost it. And then God brought it back. So the church is a redeemed creature. Holy Spirit, stop telling me so many things too quick. Wait. Please, Lord, wait. Okay. It's overwhelming me. Just a moment. Uh, turn to Matthew. There's a scripture in Matthew. Matthew chapter 23. Everybody listening? Check, see if, you, see if, you, see if your neighbor listening. Check. Okay, neighbor, you need to fast. <laughs> Matthew chapter 23. Sorry, 25. 25. 25. Matthew 25 says these words. Now I want you to underline the verse if you never underlined it before. It says in verse 34. The king. Speaking of the Son of Man, matter of fact, you look at verse 31, it identifies who the king is. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, all the holy angels with him, he will sit on the thrones of his glory, and all the nations will be gathered. You see that verse 32? The king will judge the nations. So, who does he send us to? The nations. He's the king of the nations. He will judge all of them. Look at verse 34. The, then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father... Inherit the kingdom which was prepared for you, how long ago? Before the foundation of the world. How old is the kingdom? Before the earth. The church, as we know it, was born, I'll tell you when it was born. The church was born 2,000 years ago. But it became necessary in Genesis 3. So you could say that the church 
is a product of the fall. The church as we know it. That is why when you read the Bible and you read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, there is no apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, or teacher. There's none of them in those books. And yet God says, this is very good. Which means prophets and pastors and teachers and evangelists to God are not very good. Because when he didn't have them, it was very good. What makes me necessary as a pastor? What makes the apostolic function and the prophetic function necessary? When you study those functions, why does there need to be a teacher? Because students dumb. Why does there need to be a prophet? I mean, to, you know, to kind of see for people, because people are blind. Why do we need an apostle? Because people are afraid to go and move out to new territory. In other words, something went wrong in chapter 3 of Genesis. Jesus said the kingdom was here a long time ago, before the earth was even made. So the kingdom of God cannot be the same as the church as we know it. This is very important, friends, because some of you came from Anglican, Baptist, Methodist, Episcopalian, Seventh-day Adventist backgrounds, Catholic, you know, uh, 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 Church of God, Church of God of Prophecy, Church of God, period. You know, and then the first assembly of the assembly of the assembly of the assembly, and the rapture of the eternal, you know, all these names we got for these things. Wherever you came from, we got confusion. Because we don't quite know what this church is. That's why we got to separate the two first. The church is not the kingdom. The kingdom was on earth before the church was. I'm talking heavy stuff here. Write that down, man. See, God lost the kingdom in Genesis chapter 3. The kingdom existed before earth was created. Then God created the earth so the kingdom could come on earth. Then when he made the earth, he brought the kingdom on earth through Adam. Adam sabotaged the program, committed treason, and the kingdom was taken out of the earth. And Jesus came back to bring the kingdom back. Not the church, but the kingdom back. If you get this right, you go to work with the right attitude. See, God don't want you to take to your job your church. I'm getting ahead of myself. God don't want you to be a Catholic on your job, a Baptist on your job, a Pentecostal on your job, or a Charismatic on your job. He don't want that. He wants something more important than your church, and it's the kingdom. That's why you turn people off. On your job. Tell them about your church. They are not looking for your church. They are seeking the kingdom. And by the way. Many don't join your church. Because you are in it. And they know you. They know you. Christ said the kingdom was here long before the earth. The third statement. 
the key to the kingdom was the influence of heaven on earth by the Holy Spirit through the agency of mankind. Write that down word by word. That's a very important statement. The key to the kingdom. Here's what the kingdom is supposed to be as far as God is concerned. God's kingdom's key is heaven will influence earth through the Holy Spirit living in the spirit of man in a human body on earth. That's what God wanted. So the agency through which God wants to influence earth is not through an organization, but through humans. So God created man in his own image and his likeness. And his first command was, have dominion over the earth. God never says, go form me an organization build some buildings, put a bell out front, give me some pews, I want an altar, give me some, some, some podiums, and I want some choirs. God said, no, all I want is mankind to dominate earth with my image. The word image means nature. Huh? I want earth to be filled with my nature through this creature called man. So God's original plan is very simple. He wants to influence earth with heaven through Mankind And his key was the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God's spirit. And God is saying, look, I'm going to put my spirit in you to make sure I have direct influence. A human without the spirit of God cannot represent God on earth. Or oh, they're faking it pretty good. This is why the United Nations has failed is failing, I prophesy to Mr. Coffey and all the security council, and will fail. Quoting God's scripture without God ain't going to beat no swords into plowshares. <laughs> you cannot have God's results without God. Is that clear? It's that simple. So Christ says, without me, you can do nothing. And he meant that. Now, Muhammad says, without Allah, you can do nothing. Buddha says, without wisdom, you can do nothing. Baha'u'llah says, without the teachings of wisdom, you can do nothing. Rasta says, without Haley, Salasia, you can do nothing. But Jesus said, without me. You don't study no book. You study me. You don't receive no body of information. You receive a person, he says. And that's heavy. See, our faith is not built on a book. It's built on a man. A person. A God-man. A man with God in the flesh who came to redeem us and restore us back to himself. It's our faith. And his reasoning for doing that is clear. This last statement here, the fall of man caused the departure of the Holy Spirit. So obviously the spirit of man lost the ability 
to represent the kingdom of heaven on earth. Everybody say Holy Spirit. Say it again. Holy Spirit. Now, no one can represent God without the Holy Spirit. That's the way you represent God on earth. By the Holy Spirit. So the number one thing that man lost was the Holy Spirit. He lost contact with heaven. You cannot represent a country you ain't in touch with. That's logical, eh? Alright. So what is the most important thing man needs after the fall? The Holy Spirit. If God wants his word to come to pass and not fail, then God must do one thing. He must get that ghost back in that man's ghost. <laughs> he must reconnect the man. He must restore the relationship first. You see, the man can't execute judgment on the earth for God until he's in touch with God. He cannot execute dominion on the earth for God until he's in touch with God. So, follow me. Please listen to me. I know you all think I repeat myself. But I don't, you know, use, listen over and over again, but don't hear. So I'm going to say it again. That's why Christ, Christ did the same thing. Christ had one message for three and a half years. Never changed. I'm just like him. I'm just repeating him. One message he had was the kingdom of God. And he couldn't teach it without the Holy Ghost. In other words, he had to teach the Holy Spirit. Why? The number one, listen, the number, listen. The number one objective of Jesus was not Calvary. It was not the resurrection. It was not picking up three keys from hell. It was not healing sick, raising dead. That was not his number one issue. He only had one number one issue. One. That is to get the Holy Ghost back inside of you. One. Now, what kind of ghost is he? Say it loud. Say it again. Hit your neighbor and say he was holy. What kind of ghost? It's important, you know. It's a holy ghost. Now, when man disobeyed God, he became what? Unholy. So the holy couldn't live in the holy. Now, God wants to put the holy back in the holy. But the problem is, the holy is now unholy, and so the holy can't be put into the unholy. So God's number one <laughs> goal now is to make the man holy again. So he could get his ultimate goal of putting the holy back in. So Calvary <laughs> and death and resurrection and the keys were all to make the man holy again. The blood was to cleanse him from sin. To wash away the unholy state. Why? Not just so he could be clean. God don't want to just clean people. He cleaned you up so you could receive a clean spirit. So, redemption it's not the end of God's work. Alright. Let me try it this way. I own a lawnmower. Anybody see my lawnmower right here? Beautiful lawnmower, right? Eh? I cut my grass all the time. Now, I woke up one morning and somebody stole my lawnmower. Okay. Someone came in in the night and 
steal my lawnmower. The thief cometh but for to kill, steal, destroy my ability to cut my grass. I looked everywhere for my lawnmower. I can't find my lawnmower. Two years later, a guy called me. Uh, Brother Miles, I got your lawnmower. I said, really? So why don't you bring my lawnmower? Nah, you got to pay for it. So, how much? He said, $300. <laughs> and that's my favorite lawnmower. It's the only lawnmower I know. My grass high now because I never cut my grass for three years. I really miss my lawnmower, man. My life's all messed up. Come on, talk to me. Christ says the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed a field. And then all this bush grew up. Thorns and thistles, nothing cleaned up. So the guy says, I got to buy it back. I have to re-own it. What is re-own? Come on, you're smart now. Redeem. That's what the word means. Redeem means to re-own. Deem means to own it. Re means to go back and deem it again. Redeem, own it again. So the man is telling me I got to buy my lawnmower back again. So I go to the guy and say, okay, no problem. I got to fix my yard. So I went to the guy and I pay him 300 bucks. Now watch this. He gave me the lawnmower. Listen. I bring the lawnmower back. This is, this is what most Christians do now. I bring the lawnmower back and I put it right in the porch. And I spend a thousand years saying, that's a beautiful lawnmower. A lovely lawnmower. Praise the Lord for the lawnmower. Hallelujah for the lawnmower. Ooh, I'm so glad I got a lawnmower. That's a fine lawnmower. The lawnmower is beautiful. Sanctified. Holy Ghost filled. And the grass still growing up. God didn't redeem you as a trophy. You weren't saved to be put on display to prove God could save. I save. What do I do with the lawnmower? Tell me. Boy, as soon as I get that thing back in the yard. Listen, matter of fact, before I even get back home, I stopped at a gas station. <laughs> Fill that tank up. And tell the grass, here comes a revolution. And I put the lawnmower back to the original work. What's the original work he had for you? To dominate the earth. Not to sing in heaven in a choir. Oh, I hate it. The thought just gets me. Not to go to heaven and dance around praise the Lord. That's not what he created you for. Create you to go back to work. And tell everybody, I back now. And in about four or five years, this whole place is gonna be mine. I'm gonna influence everybody. I don't look like much now, but I am Mr. Yeast. You can clap, clap, you know. Mr. Yeast. I come back to work. To complete and continue and complete the work God first gave my grandfather to do. And my grandfather is Adam. The 
And I was telling a church the other night, and I can remind you of this. We sing a song years ago, Pastor Richard, and the song is a good song, don't get me wrong, it's a good song. And it's a scriptural song. Abraham's blessings are mine. But the Lord changed my life some years ago. He said, if you want that, you could have that. See, the problem with Abraham's blessings are, is that it's only limited to a piece of the earth. <laughs> that is why Jesus, listen, never identified himself with Abraham. Never. He didn't come for a piece of property. Now, don't get me wrong. If you want just a piece, God will bless you with a piece. And when, see, my life changed when that thing hit me. That's when I became a global man. You could be a nation man. Just believe in Abraham. Abraham was a nation man. God promised him a little piece of property. And they're still fighting over that today. Or you can associate with Abraham, or with Adam. Christ associated with Adam. Adam was given the entire planet. Anybody want the whole thing? He is called the second Adam. Kingdom of God is about influence. Uh, let me let me see if I can take you to a stage that I believe will be able to open up your mind a little bit. And this part here blessed me. And I began to open this up in the spirit. Uh, <laughs> the difference between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Anybody got problems with that one? Let's clear that up, okay? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven. Two different things. Now, how do you know the difference? The kingdom, what is the kingdom of heaven? Let's start there. The kingdom of heaven is the domain of heaven where the king, who is God himself, rules and he reigns. He exercises authority and power over that territory. Heaven is a territory. It's a place. So when you see the term kingdom of heaven, it's always referring to the place where God rules, the territory where he has complete dominion. There is no disturbance in heaven, none. And the last time we heard where there was possibly one that might have occurred, it lasted the length of a flash. And I count to three, everybody blink, one, two, three. That's how fast it lasted. The Bible says, I saw Satan like lightning fall from heaven. When Satan attempted to rebel, it was over in a flash. So everything is in order in heaven. By the way, uh, those of you who, who, who study king, kingship, you know that, uh, uh, this is important here. Do you know that when a king stands up, it means that everything is not in order? Did you know that? It's very important to remember that. When a king stands up, something is wrong in his kingdom. A king standing is a sign. That something is not right in his kingdom. 
So whenever a king sits, it's a message. Everything's cool. Under control. That's why it's important when you read the Bible to find the specific words used in reference to the king. It says, when Jesus rose from the dead, he ascended up to heavenly realms and he sat down. Now, for us who were born in this, you know, parliamentary democracy area, we don't understand what that means because we ain't got no king here. But if anyone who was brought up in a, in a monarchy knows what that means. What that statement means is, sat down means that as far as Christ is concerned, Oh man, this is deep. Father is concerned, number one, ain't no problems in heaven. Everything is perfectly in order. And number two, his kingdom is in order. Now we got a challenge here. Oh Lord, no. We got a challenge here. Do you realize his kingdom is in order? So when you read Hebrews chapter 2, those of you who read it before, there's a problem statement in the chapter. The chapter says, for we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels. And he put on the form of his brethren and became like as unto one of them. And he tasted death for all of them. And then he arose again because death had no power over him because he took the power of death away. Keep reading it, Hebrews 2. It says, and then he ascended and he sat down over all dominions under him, even though however yet we do not see all things under his feet. Now that little statement they have to do with you. No, I missed it. He sat down, which means the kingdom of God is in order. It says, but we have not yet seen everything place under his feet. Which means that he wanted the kids to clean up the rest. <laughs> as far as Christ is concerned, It's just that the kids wouldn't control it. He is still sitting down. That means anything that is not under the authority of Jesus in the earth right now is illegal. And you have the power and the authority. You are authorized to bring it under his authority. Christ has already redeemed us from the curse of the law. The law of sin and death. So anything that is not under the influence of Jesus is your target. Help me, Holy Spirit. So every day, you're supposed to be going, waking up every morning, going out of your house looking. What's not under? What's not under? What is not under? 
You go to work, you go to school, you go to play, you get checking. What's not under? And that becomes your target. That must come under the influence of the kingdom of heaven. We're so busy promoting our churches, the kingdom never shows up on earth. Heaven is a place. First statement of Jesus, Matthew 4, 17, publicly. Repent, for the kingdom of what? Heaven has arrived. In other words, the authority that is in heaven has come to earth. What's the kingdom of God? Same term used interchangeably by Jesus, but you got to understand the difference. The kingdom of God is any domain where the rulership, influence, and authority of God is in effect. So the kingdom of God is the effects of the kingdom of heaven. The impact of the kingdom of heaven. Heaven is where God resides. Heaven is the place where God rules. His headquarters is heaven. Wherever that headquarters influences or impacts is called the kingdom of God. The Bahamas used to be under a kingdom called Great Britain, the United Kingdom of Great Britain. When we were under Great Britain years ago, we were considered their territory. That's the word they used. Their territory. So when anybody wanted to travel to the Bahamas, they had to get permission under the authority of the United Kingdom. We were their territory. So Bahamas was, was known technically and practically as the Kingdom of Great Britain, United Kingdom territory. Now, <laughs> the Bahamas never been to England. Have we? No, the islands can't move. But everything in the Bahamas was British. The impact, the influence. We wore their clothes, still do. We eat their food, drink tea like them. We use knife and fork. We drive on the wrong side, which is the left side. <laughs> we got roundabouts like England. Our streets are narrow and our buildings are pink. And we speak English. And we took GCEs. A-levels. All British exams. The whole country became like the headquarters. But it never went there. So we were the kingdom of England. England is what? The place. We are the impact. The kingdom of God is where the impact of the kingdom of heaven is manifested. So the kingdom of God is supposed to be in your house. <laughs> when people walk on your porch, it's supposed to be a different territory than any other territory in the neighborhood. They're supposed to feel like they just entered heaven. 
Oh boy, help me, Lord. So there's cussing in your house. They can say, now, this can't be heaven here. Fussing, fighting, throwing bottles, burning people with hot grits. He said, this can't be. Come on, you all talk to me. God is love. So as soon as they walk into the house, they're supposed to feel love. Clap, man. A good face to clap. Amen. Everybody understand what I'm talking about? When they come into your car, your car is supposed to be under the influence of the territory of heaven. So your car is supposed to be filled with the impact of the kingdom of God. When you pick somebody up and to ride in your car, what kind of music they hear it? Hey. What you just use your car for in the night? See, you claim to be a citizen of the kingdom of God. But that's why I gotta teach this. You gotta understand how to apply that practically. Your library is supposed to be under the influence of the kingdom. What kind of books there? Your money, yes, your paycheck, is supposed to be kingdom property. What you spending this on? What kind of movies you checking out? See, it's practical, man. Is the kingdom of God in your house, in your pocketbook, in your car, and in your library, and in your speech, and in the way you wear your clothes? If the kingdom owns your body, I shouldn't see your breasts. Now, and ain't nothing wrong with me, you know, I mean, breasts, fine. But in certain cultures, it's not becoming. It's not becoming. You, you get a dress like you represent a kingdom. So you see, Christianity is a different thing than kingdom. I am not into... See, kingdom is not into telling you what to wear, what not to wear, you know. Kingdom is telling you how to represent. And some of y'all need a little paint and a little rouge. There's nothing wrong with that. You need a little help. Praise the Lord for that. And thank God for a little rouge and a little lipstick, a little eyelash and makeup, you know, and dye your hair a little bit. Make yourself look right there, praise God. You could even add a little bit of horse hair, weave that in, right, Brother Jimmy? <laughs> Hey, Brother Burks, help me on Brother Burks. <laughs> I said, Brother Burks, you buy some here. Fix the thing up so it looks like kingdom stuff. <laughs> hey, boys, they praise the Lord, huh? Huh? Yeah, the brothers do. Yeah, the brothers need to, you know, dye the hair a little bit or shave it good. Not Brother Jay, yeah, he's original. Yeah, you know, man, you need to look decent, man. Walk around all kind of funny looking here. People don't know whether you use animal or human. Yeah, fix yourself. Represent the kingdom. Can I hear an amen? I mean, I saw a few men one time. I really had to look very carefully. I said, look, see, is this a human? It just don't look becoming, man. We represent a kingdom. You know, in the Bahamas, the British did something interesting, eh? I was born in Bain Town. And 
South Street. On top of the hill is a little school I went to called Western Prep. Green pants, white shade. Long socks. Long socks up to your knee. Shoe with newspaper in it. No problem. Been there, done that. Okay? Now, the British are interesting. You couldn't wear what you wanted to. I want you to think about how kingdoms work. They dictated that everybody wear uniforms. God does the same thing. God said, look. Now, God don't tell you what to wear. He said, just dress modestly. That's the kingdom uniform. Modestly. Now, some of y'all need to define that. Need a bit of help. <laughs> to be modest means that you are not a distraction. Write it down. If you walk into a place and everybody drop everything, you ain't modest. You understand modesty? Modesty means you don't distract to the point where you become a distraction. How do you walk in the press? I saw people walking and saying, my God, I got to look. <laughs> it's a disturbing purple here, half of it green, straight showing all the hip, no bra, anything swinging. Come on, man. Got to be something here. Anybody ever seen this stuff? I mean, am I the only one? You can't miss these people. They're looking for attraction. That ain't modesty. That ain't modesty. That ain't modesty. And normally when a person does that, they are suffering from insecurity and a lack of self-love. The kingdom of God is the influence of God in another territory. And that's what God wants to bring to earth. He wants to bring the influence of heaven on earth. He wants the kingdom of heaven to be manifested on earth through you and me. And this is what the mission of the church is all about. Now, I only have slide three, and I got 16. So we can pick up here next week because it's time to go. Thank you very much. God bless you. Clap, clap for me. Stand up and clap for me. That's a good place to clap. I stop it right here. Praise the Lord. Clap loud for the king. Come on, let's praise his name. Shabbat the king. Come on, Shabbat the king, everybody. Shabbat means to shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. Come on. Hallelujah.